0: Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana here with my friend Chabruta and Gordon. Our Deaf today, Masachat Tanit, Deaf Chavva, uh, page twenty-six. Well, please sign up for our CM. We're really in our final week of Masachat Tanit. We have some great speakers lined up. Uh, it's also not too late if you would like to share some Torah as well. And uh, today we begin our fourth parak which really, like the third parak, is a series of Mishnayos that we're going to go through today. Um, and we're going to spend the time on this because I think it's particularly on an area that people don't have a lot of exposure to, uh, the Mishma road and the mamadot, which we've talked about before, but not in detail with the Mishnah. Um, the other thing I want to mention is, is that this particular parak uh, is going to talk to us about sort of the regular fast days that we know of, that I think we would have thought would have been the bulk of Masachat um, and not just these, you know, fast days that were decreed when there wasn't rain. So we're going to be learning about that as well. And the mission begins as follows: on three occasions of the year, Kohanim nosin Uh The Kohanim basically raise their hands, but what this means is to recite their blessing, Arba um, four times during that day. So three times during the year, they're going to bless the people four times. And when do those blessings take place? At Now, we know today that Nihila is only said um, in Yom Kippur, on Yom Kippur, but in the times of the Talmud, actually, that additional prayer, right, Nihilat Sharim, or literally what it means is closing of the gates, uh, was said at other times as well, it was said on other fast days as well um and uh and also during the uh during the uh so the gemara tells the mishnah tells us this so on all fast days on the Mamadot dot and on yom kippur they would say at these four the they would bless the people four times during those days now the gemara the mishnah i keep saying gemara sorry is going to go and fill in a lot of detail about what the mama were exactly Elohein ma'amadot, so these are the ma'amadot, or really what they're doing is they're giving us the source um, for the ma'amadot, and the Gemara is actually going to explain tomorrow what why this phrase of Elohein ha which is a little bit unusual, right? Um, and so they basically quote this pasuk here from Bamidvar chapter 28, verse 2, which commands, uh, the the Bnei Israel, which commands the Jewish people to bring a Korban Tamid twice a day, um, and as it and as it is said in the uh, pasuk itself, it says at Bnei Israel." It's not the Kohanim who are commanded to do this Korban Tamid, but it's actually all of Bnei Israel, all of the people are actually commanded. And so, therefore, the Mishnah asks the question: How can a person sacrifice? Be offered when he is not present. So the idea is, is that this Korban Tamid, which is brought on behalf of all the Jewish people, somebody needs to represent the people when that Korban is actually being brought. Therefore, he's, esrim ba'ar ba'a mishmarot. therefore, the early prophets, um, and we'll see later on that that's really going to be Shmuel and and David. Um, they basically arranged or instituted these 24 Mishmarot, which was basically a division of Kohanim and Levim into 24 groups that served in the temple, a week at a time on a rotating basis. I'll call Mishmar, Mishmar, and corresponding to each and every Mishmar, Hayam, Ma'amad, Kohanim, Yisraelim. There was a Ma'amad, it literally means right to stand, of Kohanim, Levim, and Yisraelim, um, who basically would act as emissaries of of the people um and uh you know that a um, i um, i guess a way to explain it would be like a station basically but they would stand by the korban at the time and and pray that basically it would be it would be accepted so how would this work And so when the time came for the mishmar for the week's mishmar to go up uh to rishalim kohanamu olimli rishalim the Kohanim and the Levian would go up to Jerusalem, basically from their towns, wherever it is that they lived. Right, the Kohanim were there to do the actual service, the Avoda. The Levian were there to uh, provide the musical accompaniment and to sing. Right, and then the uh, there were twenty-four groups, basically of Yisraelim. Those were the Ma'amadot, and some of them would actually go to Jerusalem itself. Um, but the rest of them would basically gather in their local um, Beit Knesset, um, the Korimba Masab Reshid, and they would read from the narrative of Ma Reshid. They would basically read from the first parak of of Bereshid. Um, and the Gemara uh, Tamar's top you'll see, will explain why that was done. Then it goes on to explain a little bit more about the activities of the Ma'amad. The members of the Ma'amad, so meaning the Israelim, they would fast, four days of the week, from Monday, basically through Thursday. Again, the Gemara will explain this more tomorrow. They wouldn't fast on Friday because of the honor due to Shabbat. And they wouldn't fast on Sunday because you're going from, you know, the beauty and the rest of Shabbat to a fast day and you could become very weak. Now the mission is going to go on to explain what were the Torah readings. So it's going to basically go through each day which pasukim read by Yom HaRishon via hi So basically on Sunday they would read from Barashit chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 um, and then also 6 through uh, 6 through 8 on Monday they basically would read verses, from chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and then verses 9 through 13, especially she, wrote, so Tuesday they would read verses 9 through 13 through verses 14 through 19. So one of the patterns to notice here is is that the last portion that's read on one day is the first portion read on the next day. But On Wednesday they would read, so they would read, uh, Chapter, uh sorry, verses fourteen through nineteen and verses twenty through twenty-three. So Thursday they would read verses twenty through twenty-three, and then verses twenty-four through thirty-one. So on Friday they would read verses twenty-four through thirty-one, and then finally they would finish really the beginning of chapter of of chapter two, verses one through three. Right, the with Shabbat. So every day, the longer paragraph was read by two people and the shorter one by one person. This was done in Shacharis and Musaf. But at Mincha, the members of the Ma'amad would just recite it by heart, meaning they wouldn't read it from the Torah itself. The same way we recite of But on Friday at Mincha, they wouldn't go because of the honor, um, the honor of Shabbat, meaning people, you know, basically they would just read these verses privately because they needed an opportunity to prepare for Shabbat. Um, and then they're going to give us the circumstances, the mission of when Ma'amad services were not held. Kol yom po'halo in Ma'amad When there was halal, not necessarily musaf, just halal, so that would be Hanukkah, which we just completed. Um, they would just you would not do the the special ma'amad service of saying these psukim. Korban musab ein benila when there was any musab offering that was brought in the temple, there was no ma'amad service even at Niila. Korban etzim ein ba mincha any day that there was a wood offering um, that was brought, there would be no ma'amad service um, at um, at mincha. So uh, uh, again, the the mission is going to describe later on that there were sort of nine times during the year where certain families. Uh, had the merit of basically bringing fi- the fire for the mizbeach itself, um, and uh, and uh, and an animal offering was brought also. And since these offerings were brought before Mincha, the Ma'amad service of Mincha was basically suspended. But they still would have the Ma'amad service um, at N'ila. Um And uh, you know, one of the questions I'm a ask about this is how could a private offering of one family who had this privilege sort of suspend the, all the Ma'amad members uh, from their from their service. Um, and uh, some of them, of first, have explained that that was only if the family, the people bringing up the wood were also part of that Ma'amad. But I, you know, that's just a little detail to pay attention to there. Um, and uh, finally, it goes on to tell us, uh, D- this is Debrei Rabbi Akiva. This is the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Amarlo Ben Azai. Ben Azai says to Rabbi Akiva, Kachaya Rabbi Yeshua Shone. Rabbi Yehoshua would teach the following, Korban Mosav e'en b'mincha, right? If there was a Musaf offering brought, there was no ma'amad at Mincha, Korban Eitzin e'en b'mincha. And if there was a Korban Eitzin brought that day, there was no ma'amad in the Chaza Rabbi Akiva li'yot shona ke ben Azai. And so actually the Mishnah teaches us that Rabbi Akiva reversed his uh, opinion and went according to ben Azai then the Gamar the Misha is going to explain the wood offerings, right Zmanaats kohanim and Tisha, right this wood festival of the Kohanim and the people was basically celebrated was done uh, nine times during the year. So the other thing to know about this is, is that this was a specific thing that was done when Jews came back in the Shivatción from the Babylonian exile. There was basically no firewood uh, in the temple. And so a few families basically came forward and volunteered to contribute that wood. So to recognize that uh, what they did, um, it was basically instituted uh, that they would get to continue to do that. And the Gemara will explain this more in Zav Um And so then, and this, I guess, will be the part that I'll skip just for the length, uh, for the sake of time, it goes through the dates of those uh, nine times during the year. It's the first of Nisan, in which family brought, the 20th of Tammuz, in which family brought, the fifth of Av and what the name of the family was, the seventh of uh of Av and what family brought, uh the tenth of that month and what family brought it, uh the fifteenth also of Av and which family brought. And along with them also came Vimahem Kohanim the Vuchomi anyone who was uncertain of his uh tribal, you know, of his Shavit, basically. In other words, anyone who didn't know if he descended from any of these you know, yeah, uh, basically someone knew he descended from one of these families, but he didn't know uh, which one it was. Um, uh, you know, who didn't know? Uvene gonve Eli, Uvene Kotzei and also the family of the, literally means like the pestle smugglers and the family of the fig cutters. Um, and again, the Gemara will explain later on why they were given those names. Besrim Bnei Pachat Moab Ben Yehuda. On the 20th of the month, uh, it was the turn, uh, sorry, so those families actually joined with the B'nai, uh, 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 with the B'nai uh, Zatu of, of, of Ben Yehuda on the 15th of Av, and then uh, Srimbo B'nai Pachat Moab, and then on the 20th, we had another family of Av, and then on the 20th of Elul, we have another family, and then on the 1st of Tebet, we have another family. So this goes through sort of the nine times that this was brought um, and then be And the first of teved, right when one of these families came, uh, there was no ma'amad. halal, the korban musaf, the korban eighteen. None of the ma'amad service was done that day because there was halal and musaf, and the korban eighteen was all done on that day. Um, and then finally, and this is the part that I think uh, you know, is sort of most famous of these set of mishnayos, the Mishnah is now going to go through other fasts, uh, two other fasts that were observed and why they were observed. There were five tragic events, basically, that happened on the 17th of Tammuz, right, which we fast on today as well. The Hamishah and five on Tisha Bab. Tammuz, what were the five on Shiva Sarve Tammuz? The ta- you know the Luchot, the Hadibah were broken. Ubatala Tamid and the Korban Tamid, um, was uh was discontinued, um and uh, again the Rishonim talks about that this may have happened during the time of the Greeks in the second Beit Hamikdash. Um, there are some who say that this may be happened during the times of the Chashmonaim. Um, the Huvaka Ha'ir, the city wall was uh, breached, uh, and this is about by the Roman army during the second Beit Hamikdash. apu apostemos et atara. A posthumous burned um, burned the Torah. This was a Greek general. Um, there was always a copy of the Torah that was kept in the Azara, and it was written by Ezra, and this was sort of considered to be the most authoritative copy of the Torah. Um, and so that was burnt as well in Shabbat Sarba Tamas. And an idolatrous uh, image was put into the um, was put into the Heichal as well. So these are all the things that happened in Shabbat was Tishabab, what happened on Tishabab? It was decreed that our ancestors, this was Chedamaraglin, that they would not, you know, the sin of the spies, they would not be allowed to go into Eretz The Haravabai Barishon the first and second temple were destroyed. The Nilkatab Betar, right? So Betar is something that we see a lot about in the Gemara. Betar was basically a very large Jewish uh, city. And when it it basically fell into the Romans, Fifty-two years after the destruction of the temple, all uh, everyone who lived there was basically killed, um, and so it was considered to be as bad as the destruction of the temple itself, um, and uh, that's why that was one of the bad things that happened there. The Shahir, the city of Jerusalem, was plowed um, under. So that was the the date that the Roman general uh, Tyrannus uh, Rufus plowed the temple site itself. Um, uh, and then uh, finally, it concludes by saying therefore, when the month of Av comes, we, you know, we don't experience as much joy. Right. And the flip of that is going to be and we'll start our next masachid is Megillah. Right. Then when the month of Adar comes, our joy is increased. Um, and then finally, the mission is going to tell us some laws of mourning that come pertain to Tisha in the days before it. So the week that tishabav falls, we don't uh, cut hair or wash clothing. This is a little different than what Ashkenazim actually do. And we'll talk about that later when we go through this part of the Mishnah. But on a Thursday, you can. If tishabav falls on a Friday, um, you can, you know, wash your clothes because it's considered to be, you know, an honor for Shabbat an A person shouldn't eat two cooked foods. We shouldn't eat meat or drink wine. Again, we do this Ashkenazim during the whole nine days. Um, and Spartan do this the week of. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, you only need to make some change. You don't need to do both of those things. And again, the Gemara will explain what he means by that. Rabbi Yehuda Machayi B'Kivat Hamita. Rabbi Huda says you actually have to overturn the beds itself and not sleep on it, meaning you're going to sleep in the, in, in the floor. V'lo du didn't agree with him. And then now the mission is going to talk about some festive days, because, again, the mission doesn't want to end sort of on a note of a but wants to end on a note of hope. Rabbi ben So Rabbi Shima ben Gamliel says, lo hayu yamim tovim li Yisrael, chamisha asar ba'av, so Israel had no days as festive as the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. And again, one of the things to think about here is the connection between Tuba Av, right, which is sort of this Jewish marriage holiday, um, and and Yom Kippur itself, right? The maidens of Jerusalem would go out dressed in white garments that were bo- borrowed. As to not to embarrass one who had none. So everybody would borrow their clothes. So you wouldn't know who didn't have clothing. All the garments that were worn actually required immersion in a mikvah because we didn't know maybe the borrower wasn't sure that the owner maybe wasn't strict with Tower and It could have been Tameh. And the maidens of Jerusalem uh, would go out and dance in the vineyards. And what would they say? Young man, raise your eyes, urei ma rare and see what you choose for yourself. Don't pay attention to beauty. Pay attention to the family. And then they quote this very famous uh, Pasuk from Mishlay, chapter 31, verse 30, right? isha Right? That we say this every Friday night in Aesha's right? That grace is false and beauty is vain. A woman who fears. Uh, God, she should be praised. And then uh, the next thing that they would say um, is um, the following verse, Would they would say, give her the fruits of her hands and let her be praised uh, in the city of her deeds. And this is actually a pasuk from Shirah Shirin, chapter three, verse 11. And then finally, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, "V'chein hu-omer tsenah u-ra'ena ba b'melch shlomo, Right there's a very famous Zionist song, Tsena Urena, and also uh, Tsena Tsena, and also uh, that's the name of the very famous uh, Yiddish book that was read for many years. Uh, you know where parts of the Torah was translated was called the Tsena Urena um, into Yiddish. Right, so go forth and gaze, uh, daughters of Zion, upon King Shlomo. Um, but Atarashi Imo, Biyom adorned with the crown his mother made him on the day of his wedding. And on the day of its heart's of his heart's joy, um, and um, uh, and uh, sorry, I made a mistake here. This is the pasuk from Shir Hashirim, the one that I said before uh, was still from Mishle. Excuse me. Um, and then finally, Zematan So this phrase of his day of his wedding is referring to the giving of the Torah. This is the day of this day of his heart story is referring to the building of the temple. And then it finally says, She vanabamheira may it be built speedily in our days. So I think it's just very interesting to note how the Mishnah and this whole masachat, uh, which is basically talking about fast days and you know, when we're sort of not feeling our connection with God, either because rain is being withheld from us, or when we're commemorating these two major fast days, Shivasarvatamus and uh Tishabab you know, that the Mishnah really deliberately goes out of its way to sort of end very, very much on a high note and not wanting to end on, you know, a note of destruction and sadness. Um, and finally, just to pay attention to all those details about the Mamadot and Mishmarot, which I think is something that is not always so commonly understood by people. And here the Mishnah really fills in a lot of detail about it. <sighs>
1: Um. Yes, I think that the Mishnah has plenty to explain here. I mean, it does a lot of explaining here on by all by itself, and then of course the Gemara will pick up on that. Um. I want to note that I think a lot of this Mishnah, and even less so, I would say, the Gemara that follows it, is so entrenched in the administration of the Beit Hamikdash. Which, of course, you know, it's a it's a busy institution. I mean, it was a busy institution with a lot going on it makes sense that there would be so much administration going on, but I, you don't really think about it, right? Like we, we pray for the return of the Beta Mikdash and I don't think, and, and even if we think about the, all the cycles of Mamadot and Mishmar, like, but to think of this is, this is the red tape, like in some ways, you know, the, the, the basic maintenance and making sure that everything happens as it's supposed to. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I
0: love this idea of the Mamadot and Mishmarot, like, how everybody really participated in what happened in the Beit HaMikdash. And I think when we read Masachat Yoma and Masachat Psachim, it was very Kohanim-centric. And this is sort of showing us, you know, sort of how all the people were involved when it wasn't those special times. And it sort of was just, you know, the regular service that was done day in and day out.
1: Right. And here's something else that happens. It's a little bit unusual here. I might have thought that the Gemara that I'm about to talk about was would go back to the beginning of the Mishnah, of this long, long Mishnah, and talk about the Mamadon Mishmarot. And instead, it kind of much more picks up with the end of the Mishnah, where it's talking about the fasts, and specific, specifically dive Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur, in some ways, is the blending of those two, because it was a holiday, a fast day that was... Present and you know holy in the time of the temple, as opposed to all the rabbinic fasts, which take place you know they afterwards. So in that regard, I guess it kind of makes sense to to bridge the beginning and the end, as opposed to all these rabbinic fasts. But I think it's an interesting. You know, we keep noting these things that are. I want to be careful here, right? Like, I don't have enough expertise to begin with to make these sweeping generalizations of being surprised by something when lo and behold, I think that I know that there's a pattern or a trend or whatever. And yet, it's uh, we've been exposed to enough to be able to comment that this is not necessarily where the, the Gemara analysis of the Mishnah that we might have expected, in that it begins with Yom Kippur. So, quickly. We're talking about Koanim, when the Koanim raise their hands and they say the, the blessings over the people. And they do this in general, right? We do this three times. To- they did this three times a day. What does that mean they did it three times a day? It's going to depend, of course, on the day, how many times there is an opportunity for the Birkat koanim. So the, the Gemara here comments Taniyotu mamadot mi'ik musaf. So it is the fast days that have the gatherings of the, of the mamadot, of the non priestly mamadot, do those same days have musaf? Because that's going to be the question: Do you have a Birka koanim? Do you have Birka koanim? The answer to that it depends on whether there's musaf, chasuri <laughs> So the gemara says, in fact, we're really missing. There's a lacuna in the text. There's some words missing. Vahachi And this is what it should have said. It should have said bishlosham parkim koanim no alz shemit palalim. It, the the Gemara here adds in the words calls manshim et all the times when they go to pray arba and it should say there are four times in the day Shahritu musaf mincha ve ni'ilat shirim and here this goes back to your to the Mishnah your day at the point that you read it where it says it says um, begins with Shahrit and then musaf and then mincha and then ni'ilah ve elohen shloshap and the, these are the three times when, in fact, they would recite that they would have the opportunity for these birka'a kohanim, taniot, mamadot v'yom meaning where they would have these extra extra, extra kohanim shoved into the day, or, you know, added into the day, because we've got, um, because indeed, right, there has to be some kind of musaf there. Amr Rav Nachman, Amr Rabbi Baravua, so Rav Nachman says, Rabbi Baravua says, This Mishnah, and I'm not sure whether it means the entirety of this Mishnah or this section of the Mishnah talking about Berkat and the Mamadot uh, is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. So where Rabbi Meir says all four services would have Berkat but Chachamim would say only Shacharit and Musaf, Whereas Mincha and Ni'ilah did not do not have Birka Koanim. Mancha Khamim. So the Gemar wants to know where who are these rabbis? Like who's who is the 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 argue who comes to argue against Rabbi Meir? So the answer is Rabbi Hudahi. It's a very clear-cut dispute, right, where Rebbe Meir says all four, and Rabbi Huda says these two, but not these two. And Rebbe Mincha And has a, a middle ground where he says yes, that's you know, universal. And then he says, we do not have Birka but Neila we do. I'm pretty sure this is how we do it nowadays. But my So then the question is what's what are they really disagreeing about? So Rabbi Meir says, "Why is it that they didn't, that the Kohanim didn't um, do Birka Kohanim every day, right? And the concern is that they might have been a, a risk of being drunk, because somebody who is drunk cannot cannot uh, go up for Birka Kohanim. But on a fast day, there's no worry that even later in the day." that there's going to be any concern of drunkenness because they're fasting. So you don't have to worry about that. So then you could say that you can have beer even in the afternoon, because the concern that maybe it would be inappropriate, maybe they would be drunk from what? From a long lunch is is gone. But Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says it. Yeah, it's true that we're not going to be worried about shichrut, about drunkenness, the same way we might on a regular day, but at the same time, Chazal, the sages, who are establishing when there should be Birka Koanim, which you might have thought would be in this conversation itself, but he's referring back to something, right? That the decree of the Birka Koanim um, is about um, Mincha and afterwards, right? anytime later in the day, and it doesn't come to exclude a fast day like Yom Kippur according to Rabbi Yehuda, meaning in the moment you're talking about later in the day, then that would be in the context of the decree uh, you know, to not have it lest there be drunkenness, never mind the fact that it's a fast day and they won't be drinking. It's not mentioned as an exclusion, so therefore the Rabbi Yehuda says you still don't have in the afternoon. And what about Rabbi Ita Rabbi Yehuda says, so Rabbi Yossi says, the mincha is the same that happens every single day, where there is this concern of drunkenness later in the day. But, but doesn't happen except for on Yom Kippur. So there's no decree against ni'ila having birka because ni'ila is only for Yom Kippur. You, there's no uh, there's no way to establish a concern of drunkenness on Yom Kippur and also, right, and also um, have this exclusion. There's no let me say this better, there's no need to specifically exclude Ne'ilah, because it, it was never included to begin with, because it's not part of Mincha, it's its own separate service, which is only on Yom Kippur, and is not mentioned in the decree against having Berk later in the day, um, lest there be an issue of drunkenness. So A, there's no concern of drunkenness, and B, there's no decree. So Rabbi Yossi says, you do have it in Ne'ilah, but not in Mincha, because Mincha is the regular decree. And his view, I think, is there. I would say it's a little bit more nuanced than Rabbi Yehuda's uh, approach to the decree. And, of course, Rabbi Mayer's position is that the decree simply doesn't apply on a day when there's no concern of drunkenness to begin with.
0: You know, it's interesting to see. We saw this before. Of course, I can't remember what daff it was. But this, you know, comparison between the Cohen and the Nazir. Um, and yes, it's because they sort of appear next to each other. But, you know, I'm also wondering if there's something a little bit more, not just about them appearing next to each other in the Torah itself, but also sort of um, their role, right? The idea of the Nazir is somebody who sort of refrains from partaking in certain things. And I think the message that's being communicated about the coin is, you know, the privilege of being able to serve is that you also. Uh, don't get to participate in everything that a Yisrael would get to participate in. So it's sort of like you gain something, you're also going to lose a little something.
1: That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF. Thank you to Rebbenit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.